Welcome to our podcast. We hope that this content is a blessing for your life. Enjoy the message. It's always a joy and a privilege to be here before you. And I welcome again our online community and again tell you how important you are to all of us. And we continually hear stories of people who are blessed by the fact that even though you cannot be here present, you can listen and participate in our services in an active way. So we welcome you again and welcome all of you here. There are almost 8 billion people on our planet, and 328 million live in the geographical area that we call the United States of America. We have social platforms that you all know very well, you know, Instagram, Twitter, WhatsApp, YouTube, TikTok, lots of platforms in, in, in our world that are, you know, social platforms. And we have lots of people who their most precious possession is to increase their followers and get likes from others. You know, that is very important to them. We are, you know, like, you know, Sam, Pastor Sam just said, we are also exposed to information that produces an illusion of connectedness in us. But in spite of all that apparently limitless contact and constant awareness of people's whereabouts, even of what they're eating at the moment, you know, and maybe some of us have, are guilty of taking pictures of our nice food in our favorite restaurant and sending it to others in our, in our list of contacts. But in, in spite of all of that apparent connectedness and, you know, hearing about the opinions of many people around us, the reality is that we have minimal, meaningful connection in spite of that illusion of being so connected. And it seems to me that this superficial ultra-connectedness has amplified our sense of aloneness and isolation. And I believe personally, and I think many people uh, do the same, that all of this superficiality and in, in being connected and this desire to be connected in these impersonal ways are really factors that have increased uh, suicide, depression, and some other mental illnesses. They don't produce them, but they, I think they, they are a factor in increasing those. But here's the deal. God didn't intend for us to live separate from one another or in isolation or loneliness. And he didn't intend that we relate in superficial ways either. That's not God's plan. Because he especially designed us. This, this is in our, our design, our DNA that we grow in meaningful relationships with one another. He designed us to enjoy the company of others 
and to grow together. And because, why? Because that makes us stronger, you know, to be connected, really connected, meaningfully in loving uh, connections that, that is very important for us to grow and develop. And you see that from birth, you know, from the moment we are born to the moment that we say our last goodbye, you know, hopefully in old age, that those meaningful connections are so important and help us grow in so many ways. A baby couldn't survive if it weren't for the care and the connection. Even, you know, there are studies after study that, that say that even just the touch that a baby receives, a, a child receives from their parents, from, you know, all the people that love them, that's important for their development. Even in the animal kingdom, that is so, you know, uh, creatures cannot survive without touch, you know, from their peers, you know, from the other animals. And, and we as people, it's even more important to us. And I, as I see and I connect personally with many people in the older generation who are in their, you know, 80s, 90s, for them it's so important to be connected. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's essential, and, and that's what really brings them joy, because other things that maybe us that are younger uh, appreciate and, and are nourished by, when you get to be, you know, an older person, you, uh, your survival, your joy, your desire to continue living is based on those personal connections that they establish with others. So, you know, again, the point is that that's part of our design, and, and we need to seek them. Uh, with the pandemic and its, you know, resulting lockdowns and quarantines, we've had an unprecedented opportunity to develop a deeper understanding of the value and beauty of community. And we, we learned about this the hard way, right? Um, we experience, I think all of us experience, the pain of missing living in community, being more in, in closer proximity to those that we love. And as we worked hard, we also realized, you know, we, we worked hard at reinventing uh, some, uh, to try to live life in a way that was more similar to living in community. You know, I remember even for me, you know, just going to the supermarket was an exciting thing. You know, I, you know I, I wanted to miss things in the pantry so I could go into the supermarket and, and see other people and, and, you know, have that semblance of community living uh, uh, so, you know, I know we all went through that and we all were, you know, thinking, how can I still be connected with others? So one of the threads of Scripture is the theme of community. We know from Scripture that God chose the Israelites to be his people. When they were not a people, he chose them to be his people, to be in communion with him as they shared life and as they worshipped him. That was his plan. And about 15 centuries after that, Jesus came to our world. He ministered in community, inviting all to him. He then, what did he do? He gave his life on the cross for our redemption. He resurrected and before ascending to heaven, Acts 1 tells us this about about 
you know, his purpose. He said he appeared, you know, Jesus appeared to his disciples over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then verse 8 of that same chapter expands on this promise. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So then the disciples and others that completed a group of about 120 people did precisely as Jesus had instructed them. They did return to Jerusalem, and uh, there's a verse that says that they all joined together constantly in prayer. So that group of 120, they were joined as one people. And Acts, later on in, in Acts, in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, describes that that which Jesus had promised. And it's, it goes like this. Acts uh, 2, 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be Tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit fell on the Feast of Pentecost, which was a, a celebration, a traditional celebration that uh, where many Jews came to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of, of Pentecost. So when this happened, when I, what, what I had just read happened, many gathered around, uh, you know, the house, you know, wherever they were, they gathered around, amazed that they could hear their own language being spoken. Remember, they came from all over the world. You know, so it wasn't a common language like, you know, like the Jews right now in, in, in Israel. They had all many different languages, but they were amazed that they could hear the, uh, the, this crazy group of 120 people speaking in languages that they could understand. And then it was then that Peter rose and he delivered the gospel to them. And Acts 2.37 tells us, when the people heard this, when they, they heard this message from, you know, of, of who Jesus was, what he came to do for us, it says that they were cut to the heart. You know, the, the message went straight to their hearts. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They wanted to respond to the message of Peter. And the passage continues saying that 3,000 were added to their numbers that day. Just one message and 3,000 were added that day, you know, as, as believers. 
When we read these passages, we typically think of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We think of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we think of evangelism. That's what the, the first thing that comes to our mind. Today, I ask you to think of these verses that we have read as the foundation of the community that the Bible calls the church. So, you know, we're going to look at those verses thinking of community. Of course, all the other things that we think about are important and are a foundation, but let's think of community right now. At the end of chapter 2, we find a beautiful description of the result of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in the lives of people that gave their lives to Jesus as a response to the invitation of the apostles. It's a description of the origin of the church family. I propose to you that the following picture, what we're going to read now in, in Acts 2, is an authentic joining together, which is a direct result of the move of the Holy Spirit and its transformative power in the lives of people. So let's go to Acts uh, chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And we're going to have it in the you know, screen so we can you know, refer to it as, as I go along in my message. Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor, favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this picture of community is sort of foreign to our modern sensibility. We might, you know, just read it and just go through it quickly, thinking that it's really unrealistic and kind of primitive. And as a matter of fact, that's what the early church was called. It was the primitive church. And we think, well, maybe that was for those times, not for now. And because I, I think our present view of community living is very, very different. And it's very much self-centered. And I, I know that there are a lot of barriers. You could probably identify some. You know, I, I can identify some even in my own life. And I just want to go through a short list of barriers for living this type of community. First of all, you know, the first one that comes to mind is busyness. Every single day is filled with so many occupations and responsibilities that we really have very little time to look to the side to the needs of those around us. And then also we have a very deep appreciation of our material possessions and the pursuit of more. 
you know, how many times we make decisions based on that, on, on we want to, you know, add more, we, you know, we, we appreciate what we have so much more sometimes than even people. And, you know, then we have the pursuit of pleasure, you know, and, and, and you know, some of them are simple pleasures like watching media, you know, and sometimes we say, well, we don't have time, I don't have time to do this, to engage in community building, but then we spend, you know, an hour or sometimes several hours in front of a device uh, rather than investing in people. And again, it's not that that's a devil thing or anything, you know, we, I, I think, have, you know, we know technology has a place, but there should be some limits and it should not hinder our ability to build community with others. We also, as a nation, we have an individualistic mindset that makes us pride ourselves of, independent and, of being independent and self-reliant. So when we're faced with the possibility of community, uh, or you know, of committing our resources to other people, to you know, worthy causes, uh, we then what we do is we ask ourselves, what, what is, what's in this for me? Rather than saying, how can I serve? It's what am I going to benefit? What benefit am I going to take out of this personally? Instead, again of looking at the needs of others and, and being a, someone who could provide for those needs. We also have a, we strongly protect our personal space and our time. And that limits us to the availability, you know, to becoming available to others because our time is precious and we want just to keep it very protected. And we also have difficulty committing ourselves to others for fear that living in community will limit our freedom and our choices. You know, so those are things that are very real, and I know that even personally I have to deal with. And I, I you know, so I'm, I'm speaking to myself also this morning, uh, because these are real barriers, and, and they, are, they have become even more so uh, in, you know, in the last you know, few decades of, of life you know, as a nation and as, a, as, world, as the world. So in looking, as we go back to, the, to our theme scripture this morning, uh, Acts 2, there are several, or I'm going to point two characteristics that jump out from that passage. And one is that it's Jesus-centered. You know, that community described there in Acts 2, verses 42 to 47, is Jesus-centered. And, you know, we know that from verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. So the foundation of their coming together was the teaching of Jesus about the kingdom of God. Of course, they didn't have the Bible as we do today, the New Testament, uh, but, you know, they, they did have the teachings of the apostles who were, you know, they shared time with Jesus uh, and they were in charge of communicating, communicating to them the message of the gospel. So their love uh, for the Lord led them to a desire to seek God in, in, you know, the passage we see through prayer, to be in awe of the Holy Spirit's handiwork through the apostles and to praise him. Those are a few of the ways, you know, in, you know, 
communicated through that passage, ways that they, they, praised, they praised God, they prayed, and they were in awe for what God was doing in their midst through the Holy Spirit. And as you, you read the passage, you know, those verses, you easily see that these people were in love with Jesus. And that's, that's what you see, a deep love. And they were manifesting the joy of their salvation, the, the joy of knowing that they were part of the kingdom of God. And most probably, you know, when it says that they, they uh, broke the bread, it means that they were also... Uh, following the leads of the Lord or the command of the Lord to, to break the bread and drink the wine as, as, a as a remembrance of him, you know, of his sacrifice in the cross. And, but we know also from Scripture and from, you know, from uh, readings of, of how people lived in those times that that was part of a meal as well. So even their meals were dedicated to the Lord, and he was the center of their meals, uh, of sharing those together. So we see that in, 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 that, in, those, in that passage that the community was Jesus-centered, but also it was other-centered. So Jesus-centered and other-centered. And the original, uh, well, uh, let's go to some of the verses that support that. It's, it says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to fellowship. All the believers, verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And we know that the original word for, you know, it's translated here as fellowship. The original Greek word is a word that many of you know. It's koinonia, which means togetherness, friendship, intimate connection between brothers and sisters just because, just because they were connected to Jesus. So that's what, you know, so it's fellowship. Fellowship means, you know, Again, togetherness, an intimate togetherness. And this koinonia that is spoken about here is a direct fruit of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't something that they decided one day, we're going to do this. It was spirit-led. And that koinonia was the glue, you know, like the crazy glue, that brought them together to share their time their spiritual gifts, their possessions, their food uh, with one another. And this, this was a, a new experience to them. It was kind of counterculture, you know, and I think it would be counterculture no matter where you look in the world. And these new believers had gone from seeking the company of people that were compatible to them, you know, that it was a normal associations, organic associations, uh, so they went from that, from seeking people that were in their circle to finding, getting new, seek, even not finding, seeking new friends just because those new friends also loved the Lord as they did. And it, when these people went from providing from their own, for their own families to thinking of those that were around them that also had needs. So they expanded their circle of influence as, as, they, as, they, as the love of God and this Holy Spirit new revelation was in them and they started to build community. 
And verse 40 says, says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and, and listen to this, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So this was not difficult for them. They were doing it out of an abundance in their hearts. You know, um, Pastor Sam was uh, earlier uh, reading the scripture in 2 Corinthians 9 uh, and, and, you know, talking about God loves a cheerful giver. Yes, he loves when we, uh, from our possessions, from our, our monetary resources, we give to him. But he also delights you know, deeply delights when we share our time, when we share everything that we have. And not, not necessarily because we have an overabundance of it. It's not a, of a matter of sharing because that's kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's over, uh, over what I really need. It's because, because it, it's something that comes from our heart and we are able to see the needs of others around us. And, you know, after painting this beautiful picture, uh, chapter, chapter, uh, Acts 2, chapter, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, I want to make an aside and a, and a clarification, and it's that within this beautiful koinonia that is described here, this beautiful community, the early church also faced difficulties and misunderstandings as we do today, you know, it's the same thing. It's not, it's not a perfect community. You know, when those of you who are part of community know that community is messy. You know, marriage is a community, family is a community, a church is a community, a neighborhood is a community, and it can be messy at times. And the same with this uh, church, you know, in this beautiful, uh, you know, emerging community that we call the church, it was also, there was some messiness in it too. And we don't have time today to go into those, but I want to give you just a, a, a quick mention, a quick, a, a quick example. And it's one that we find in Acts 6 from verses 1 to 7. We don't, we're not going, I'm not going to read it, but uh, it's, it's, you know, just that's a reference, Acts 6 verses 1 to 7. And that's when the Hellenistic, remember that I told you that there, I told you that there were many uh, Jews from all over the world. And there were ones who were called the Hellenistic Jews. They came from uh, Greek, you know, Greek um, nations. And they complained against the Hebraic Jews, who were the ones who lived in Jerusalem. They, they hadn't come from anywhere else, but they were lo the locals. They complained to them that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Because that's one of the things that they did as a community. They, they understood there is a need. These widows need us. There wasn't any welfare or any of those things then. And, and they, they looked at that need and, and the church was fulfilling that need. But then something happened there. You know, there, there was... Uh, there had been some inequality there. You know, some, the, some were getting the food, some widows were getting the food that they needed on a daily basis, while others might have been overlooked. I don't think it was intentional, but uh, it was something, it's a result of growth. And, and again, we're not going to go into that, but I just, just to mention that there, there, were, there were difficulties, there were misunderstandings then, the same as we have now. And the beautiful thing, and I think the encouraging thing that, that we see in, in the result of, of these people bringing up 
you know, an issue and being solved as a community is that the Holy Spirit gave the strategies for, the, for that to be solved. Uh, so, you know, that gives us, I think, it encourages us to know that the same way that the Lord, that the Holy Spirit gave them the strategies that they needed at that moment, today he's also doing the same. Why? Because he was the one that had the idea of community in the first place, and he's going to sustain it. So, you know, that's encouraging to me. I have been reading a book. Uh, it's titled Captive in Iran. Captive in Iran. And it's, it's a story of two young Christian women, and their names is Mariam and Marcie, uh, in Iran, of course, as the title says. They were arrested uh, for sharing their faith in a country that prohibits sharing the Christian faith. And for that, they went to jail. They, went to, they were arrested and put in jail in a, in a prison called the Evan Prison, which is, is notorious uh, for its brutality. Not, it's not the worst of Iran. It's one of the worst, worst in the world. So that's where they were sent for sharing their faith. These women were, were amazing. You know, they, you know, probably in their 20s, uh, they, they met the Lord uh, as, as teenagers, both of them, and God brought them together. And uh, they, what they did is they, they would distribute uh, New Testaments in Tehran, you know, which is something, you know, they, they knew that they were in danger of being arrested and, you know, even, you know, potentially killed. So they were arrested, and the reason why I bring this example to you is that when you think about you, you know, you're arrested, you go to a place where, you know, you are in fear of uh, torture, torture all the time, you're being interrogated, you have sleepless night after sleepless night, the food that they received was uh, put, you know, there was a slot in the, the door of the, of the cells, and through that slot, they would slide, you know, some type of material with something that they called food put on it, you know, so like a mush of something, they, you know, even nameless food. And so, and among them, you know, in every cell, there could be 10, 15 people. With their hands, they would, they would grab, you know, from the food that was given to them, they would, uh, which was not three meals, mind, you know, it was probably no more than two a day. Uh, so that's, you know, no food, no, so there, you know, disnutrition or malnutrition, sorry. Um, they couldn't even go to the bathroom when they needed. I mean, just terrible, terrible conditions of life. If you are, if you and I are in a in a place like that, what would we do? We would try to, you know, keep to ourselves, uh, try to, you know, have as much as that food for us. Uh, and, but these women did exactly the opposite. Rather than isolating and, and just having community among them, both of them, they did something amazing. They went through, you know, everywhere they were in their, in a, their cells or when they're in, in, in time outside, Every time they would share the love of the Lord with others and giving them hope. And, and remember, it was, there were no other believers there. They were the only believers. But people would ask, why are you here? And that was the opening line that they needed 
in order to share their faith. I'm here because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And, you know, and they would then, you know, explain the gospel to them. And they, in the time that were there, they, they were even sentenced to death by hanging, you know, execution by hanging. Thankfully, don't be afraid. The book ends well. You know, they, they are released. Uh, and, you know, they're released because of a com and the international community getting together and demanding that they be released. You know, what a, a beautiful, beautiful testimony of the power of community, you know, of, and of love and caring for those who cannot defend themselves. But, you know, what a beautiful example. These women there and sharing the gospel through their example in spite of, of all the tribulations that they were going through. They did not lose their hope. And on the, on the opposite, they, that was their perfect, it was like, you know, they, they were excited. Can you imagine that? In spite of that, those conditions, they were excited because they had church every day, everywhere. You know, what a, an amazing uh, example. And again, the book, the title of the book is Captive in Iran. And there is also, it's also an audible, so you can, you know, have time to read it. You can listen to it in the car. And it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. So we know, you know, from... Uh, what we read in Acts chapter 2 from this example that I just shared with you, that community, community doesn't happen by accident. No, no way. It doesn't happen by accident. It's intentional. It's other-minded. And it's everyone's responsibility. You know, it's, it's not the leaders are not the ones who do to hire responsible for community. Everyone is responsible. Adults, um, older people, young people, even children. And I think it's one thing that we can definitely teach at home. You know, when we have strong marriages, strong families, and where there is community, love, where conflicts are solved in love, when there is that other-centeredness, that's, that's the, uh, the best place where children can learn what community is all about. If you, if you look at, you know, children that are excited about being with family or, and that as they grow up, they, they value family, the reason most of the time is because that's what they experience at home. So I, I encourage you to, you know, to, to your the children in your life, teach them the, to love and value community and to see themselves as people who can build community. It doesn't matter what age you are. But let's, let us remember that the church is not only us gathering on Sundays as we are right now. That's not, that's not the end of the church. We are the church wherever we are. That's where the church is. So we can, uh, we are much more than a Sunday gathering. Let's always remember that. that. We are not a community because we are here. This is part of what we do, but it's so much more than that. And when I think of the beauty of community, I remember a dear sister in the Lord, Anna Andujar. Uh, she committed her life to the Lord in our church. Those who knew her miss her greatly. I miss her so, so much. She went to be with the Lord four years ago after a, a very, you know, severe illness. And she attended her, uh, our church with her young two sons, which were the light of her life. 
In spite of being a new believer, she immediately grasped the call of building community for the Lord. She didn't say, well, I have to go through the four levels of discipleship. I have to uh, do this and that. No, she immediately knew that the call of building community was on her life in spite of, of being a baby in the Lord. And she believed, you know, from the beginning that God could use her. And you know what she did? You know, as, as very soon after she met the Lord and, and, you know, decided to live for him, she, she opened a Saturday breakfast, a weekly breakfast in her home. And what she, did she do? She was a, a single mom. She invited mostly other single moms like her to have a time of fellowship, a time of koinonia. And we know that exactly that's what happened. You know, their life was shared very simply. You know, it was just a table set with very simple breakfast items, but where there was conversation, where there was connected hearts in those times. And, and we know, you know, that she left an impact. She left an impact in my life as a model for even for me. And, and she was an, instru an instrument that God used in the emotional healing of many, many women. And again, we're talking about a woman who just said yes to the Lord, understood the call of being uh, a community builder, you know, knowing that that was for her, and doing what she had in her hands. She had a home. She had an apartment. She had a table. She had breakfast items. And in spite of, you know, being uh, not a wealthy person by any means, you know, she had needs of her own, but she opened with, with a glad and sincere heart, like the verse says, she opened her home and allowed others to come and where hearts were connected. You know, she's, she will always be uh, that example for me. And I know there are people in the church now, today, because of her testimony and the impact that she had in their lives. And why, again? Because she was Jesus-centered, the same as Marianne and Marcier in Iran. She, they were Jesus-centered, and they were other-centered. So the, the fabric of the church family is knit together by all the manifestations of the one another's of the Bible. Did you know that the phrase one another is used a hundred times in the New Testament? And it, it's calling us to unity, to love, and to humility in community living. The, uh, uh, more than a hundred one another's in the New Testament. And I'm going to, uh, those are the ones that are there for us to let us know the importance of being not, not receiving from others, but being givers. And if we could put the, start with the verses. And I'm just going to read for you, and you can look at also in the, in the images presented, Just uh, seven examples of the one another's. And the first one is, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So loving one another is a mark, is, is, is a, an expression, an obvious expression. It should be obvious. That's an expression of being a disciple of Christ. And that's, that's John 13, 35. 
And then we have Mark 9.50, which says, Be at peace with each other. Romans 15.7, Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. And I, the, another version says, receive one another. What a beautiful image of receiving one another, right? And then we have Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other. Galatians 6.2. Carry each other's burdens. First. Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another and build each other up. What a beautiful verse. We all need encouragement. Every single day of our lives, we need encouragement, and we need to be building one another with our words of encouragement. And then my favorite one, Galatians 5.15, it says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Of course, you know, the word is not telling us to bite and devour each other. You know, that's, it, uh, it, that's not what it means. It's, it's, it's the opposite. Do not bite each other. Do not devour each other. Because when we do that, what, what comes with biting each other and devouring each other? Destruction comes. Why? Because we need one another. We need to be a strong-knit community. So those are just seven verses from the scripture of the almost a hundred that you can find in the New Testament about just instructions of how we can build community and reach out to one another. And then, you know, if the musicians can come now, please. And then we have, I want to just, as, as we close, let's look at Psalm 133, verses 1 to 3. Psalm 133, verses 1 to 3. As a matter of fact, that's all the verses there are in, 100, in Psalm 133. It says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And as a matter of fact, there's another version uh, going, uh, that says, it says, behold. And when the scripture says, behold, in Spanish is mirad, behold, it's telling us, you know, this is worth watching. It's worth looking at. You know, what, what I'm going to describe next is something worth of your attention. So let's, it's not there in that, um, in this version with the NIV, but let's pretend it is. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And when we think of good and pleasant, when I, when I think of pleasant, it's, it's because there is an aroma that comes out. There's a perfume that comes out when we live together in unity. That, that you know, as the same uh, uh, way that in that passage that we read in chapter in Acts 2, it said that they had the favor of all the people around them. Why? Because it was obvious that something new and beautiful was being birthed in Jerusalem for them to see. So how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, 
running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. So we know it's, it's telling us that God's blessing is a direct result of living together in unity. Because when we live like that, it's good and pleasant, not only for others to see, but it's good and pleasant to the Lord. It brings glory to His name. It honors Him. Because that's what He came to the world to do. To be in community in us, to receive us into, his, in, into Him, you know, and to, to be part of Him. So he, we would be His and He would be ours. What a, a beautiful example of community that we need to be, you know, emulating, you know, and, and having as a, a standard in our life, you know, to, to, so that our reaching out to others be good and pleasant to the sight of others and to the Lord. I know that the times that we're living on right now are difficult times, you know, m many, many reasons for that. And, you know, sometimes when we are in stress, instead of building community, we become very conservative in many areas. And we, we, you know, we keep to ourselves, we keep our resources to ourselves. And sometimes, because we think differently, we might even separate ourselves from others or separate others from us. Those are the times we're living in. You know, I know of families that are in conflict right now because, you know, for political reasons, for different postures in terms of different issues that we're living now. But I, I think that us as a community, we are called to, yes, understand that we, there are differences, to listen to one another, and to, do all of, to continue to do all of these things that we've talked about. There is no reason for now to separate from one another. And you know that we know that the enemy has always, his plan has always been to infiltrate the church, to infiltrate the community of God, and to take advantage of differences and, you know, and, and, and what is the, what's the idea? To divide, to separate us from one another, and ultimately not to be for us not to be witnesses of him and of his love, because that is one of the expressions of being a believer, unity and harmony among us. So I encourage you, you know, these times, in spite of where you are, what you believe, let's always seek community, knowing that it's such an important part of who we are, and it's part of our identity as believers. So as we close in prayer, I want to extend, you know, all of what I've said as a challenge to you and to me. And I want to encourage you to become more aware of your own call to serve Christ in community. Not to be isolated in any way, but to serve him in community. God has a job for you Wherever you turn, you can be sure of that. There's always something to be done. The same, you know, the example that I gave you about these two young women, 
They were in a place where it was difficult, apparently, to build community, but they did because they were Christ-centered and they were other-centered. I also want to encourage you to grow in the love and knowledge of the Word of God and to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. That's where everything is birthed. We don't do community in our own strength. We do it in the strength of the Lord. The same way that it was birthed, uh, the way that I explained already. Let's become more sensitive to the needs of others. You know, in spite of where we are, even, you know, even when we might be going through difficulty, uh, when we extend our hand to others, and when I mean that, it's not necessarily through uh, concrete an item, let's say money or, or anything. It's, it's just giving ourselves to others. That is so, so precious. This morning, I received a text at seven in the morning of a sister that's, that just, you know, very simple words. I love you and, and, I, and, and the Lord is with you. She didn't know I was going to be preaching today. But you know how timely the Lord is like that. You know, he, He'll allow us to get encouragement in unexpected ways. And that is important to me. So let's always be sensitive to the needs of others. You know, they might, they might look like they have everything, but everyone has a need. And maybe it's us who are there to provide for that need. Let's, let's also recognize the power of our influence over the lives of others. Sometimes we, we neglect that. We don't know how important our presence, our words, our facial expressions, our nonverbal expressions, our small gestures of love, how important they can be. And we might never, we might, might never know that what we are sowing in one person at some moment that we thought was so small can, be, can make all the difference in the world of that person. And I could give you many examples of that in my own life and what I've seen, you know, how one small gesture can change the life of a person in a second, you know, and, you know, for them to go in the direction that they need to go. Let's also grow in openness to receive others, as that verse that, I, that we read earlier, to receive others in our lives and share ourselves. So, and again, we're not talking necessarily about giving something. We are the most precious thing that we have. It's us. Why? Because we're temples of the Holy Spirit. Because He dwells in us. Because He wants to make mighty things through us. And some of those mighty things seem like little things. But what we need to do is just to be faithful to the Lord and do, be obedient, do what He has called us to do. It's, it's His job to add, like, like in that uh, Acts 2, he was, it's the Holy Spirit who added people to the church. But, you know, it, it's His work that will turn our little offering, our little giving into something great. So I encourage you to do all of these things. I encourage you to reread the chapter, to ask God to speak through it to you and, and what you might have to be doing in this time. 
don't be happy with or content with how God is using you up to now. Be challenged to be used even more for His glory. Maybe in new ways. You never know. You know, that, that's the Lord we serve. These people were, you know, it took them by surprise, you know, in Jerusalem that something like this would happen. They, they woke up that morning to go about their business as every day. But the Holy Spirit came over those 120. The message of the gospel was delivered and they responded. And from that, the church was birthed. The community that we, that we call our community was birthed. And what God wants is to add more to our community. This is not a club where we say, okay, we have, we have enough space for a thousand. No, no, no. We, we have space. The, the Lord has space for hundreds and millions, millions of thousands, billions of people in his kingdom. And it's us through the way we live on our daily best basis who are called to bring others, you know, to receive them to bring them close to us so that they can also be close to Him. That's, that's our purpose. And that brings glory to God, and that's what God considers good and pleasant. So as, let's close in prayer, asking that God do precisely that, that He use this beautiful community that we call Lion of Judah for mighty things in His name. Lord, we're so thankful. Thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us the challenge of building community. Lord, we would be incomplete if we didn't do that. We would be disobedient if we didn't do that. Lord, this morning, in these trying times, we ask that you knit even more closely, the fabric of community in our church. That we be used in your name to do mighty things, even as we give of ourselves in apparently small ways. Lord, give us the wisdom, the understanding to be obedient to you, to your call for building community. That no one in this house say, there is nothing for me to do but that there be a new opening of their minds and their hearts to serve you in building community, wherever that is. Lord, that we be faithful in building community in marriage, in our, within our families, within our neighborhoods, within our church, but that it be even more, that we extend even more. Lord, we are before you. We know that we need help, but we trust that your power is with us. The power of your Holy Spirit is with us. And in the same way that you birthed the church that day 2,000 years ago, you can do it again with this community and with the lives of each individual that gathers here, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. That we take it to heart. And that we be obedient to you always in building community. Thanks for tuning in. You can find more resources like this in our website, leondejuda.org, and in our social networks by searching for Congregación León de Judah. 
We look forward to being with you again. God bless you.